Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Black Label presents Heavy Montreal, the heaviest festival in Canada. Back for a 10th edition, two days of rock and metal. July 27th and 28th, outdoors at Parc Jean Drapeau. Witness Slayer perform their last show in Quebec ever. Performances by Ghost, Godsmack, Evanescence, Slash, Anthrax, Steel Panther, Kill Switch Engage, and many more. 40 bands playing four stages on a festival site that you have to see to believe. Festival passes are on sale now. Visit heavymontreal.com. Produced by Avanco. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. This is the Sean Baker Orchestra with Which Way to Radio Land.
Welcome to episode 800 of Talking Metal. I cannot believe we are here. 800 episodes, 2005 to 2019. I started this show back in 2005 with the one and only John Astronomy, and he is here as my co-host. John, how are you, man? Patient. John, hello. Hello, John. Chelsea. Yeah, can you hear me? Um, oh, there you are. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. John. Okay. Yeah. How are you? 800 episodes. Where Where are you? That's a better question. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. I am across the street from Chelsea Market at the Dream Hotel. The reason is that Chelsea Market is the scene of the Guns N' Roses stakeout. Right, and right. That's one of the things that put us on the map. It's, now, Mark, you mentioned that some of the listeners who are new may not know about the Guns N' Roses stakeout. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people who listen nowadays who it, it surprises me. You know, they're like, oh, I've been a listener for three years, you know, and I, I'm sure there's some folks out there who remember, but there's probably a majority of the listeners at this point who may not actually know what the Guns N' Roses stakeouts were. So, yeah, to explain a little bit to the to the listeners who might not know what what we did, what historic uh, coverage we did back then. <laughs> I mean, there was this album that was being made, Chinese Democracy, and no one knew about, you know, and it had been in production for, you know, what, 15 years or something. And, and it right. was like a mysterious record. It was well guarded, well hidden. Axel wasn't doing interviews. And so we did what the Guns N' Roses stakeouts, to, you know, expand upon Correct. that. Okay, so what happened was we found out that the album was being mastered at a place called Sterling Sound. Now, Sterling Sound is a very famous place that masters records, and they literally master, like, I would say, you know, back in the day, like 75% of records were mastered at Sterling Sound. So we would go into the Sterling Sound offices and say, hi, we're here from Talking Metal, and we want to ask you some questions about Guns N' Roses Chinese Democracy. And it was really fun. Everybody was cool to us. Not everybody gave us the the time of day and spoke to us but everybody had a, a you know were good sports about it and and we literally were just so excited about the album Chinese Democracy and Guns right. and Roses and and it, we hung out at Chelsea Market for a couple of different reasons one Sterling Sound was there two Guns and Roses management was located there and three we heard the very very amazing and famous restaurant in New York City. So we'd go in there and would have a Homestead, drink. And we'd yeah. just ask people, "Have you ever seen Axl Rose?" And a lot of people uh, would say, "Yes, we saw him. He was in here, in, and he ordered a, a steak." And yeah, so that, those were fun times, definitely. And and you are back there at the at the scene of our historic Chinese democracy stakeouts uh, tonight, John, and a cold a, a cold winter night here in New York City, right? Yes, yes, it is. And uh, I'm sorry if this uh, is cutting in and out. I have a bad network connection. But anyway, yeah, sorry. so Mark, 800 episodes. I know you've done a couple of great interviews. I know who the guests are, but why don't you tell the listeners who's going to be on today, today's podcast? We got a guy that, that you used to talk about a lot that you always mentioned to me that when Black Sabbath toured for Born Again, he was the drummer, Bev Bevan. And he is a rock and roll hall of famer was in one of the biggest bands of the seventies ELO, the electric light orchestra. And he has a small section of his lengthy career that he was involved with black Sabbath. And 
He's going to tell us all about that. You know, here he is, this rock and roll hall of famer for, for, um, electric light orchestra. And I barely even asked him about that, which he knew. And he, and I told him ahead of time, listen, you're here to talk about your time on, on black Sabbath. And he is one of T- Tony Iommi's best friends to this day. So he is on the, the podcast to talk to us about his, his time in and out and, and in again, uh, of black Sabbath and uh, some great stuff here. And he's also going to talk about an album that he's involved with called Emerald Sabbath. And he plays percussion and some drums on on the record. And it's basically all people who were at one point in time uh, involved with Black Sabbath or actual members of Black Sabbath, for that matter. And they perform Black Sabbath songs on this great record called Emerald Sabbath. So, yeah, Bev Bevan. And then later on, we're going to hear from a guy I just love, Danko Jones. So cool. So cool. So cool. Hello, Sabbath with Ian Gillen, Hello. and they did songs like Zero, The Hero, and and I always thought he was such a cool guy. And then he played on the, uh, he didn't play on the Born Again album, but w- the deluxe edition that came out in 2011, he is on a bunch of the live tracks on right. that. So that is so cool. Yeah, well, he again, and he's on this Emerald Sabbath record, and let me tell you what he he plays on. Uh, let's see what he plays on trashed, which features, uh, Ron, uh, Ron Keel on vocals. So we're going to hear that song in just a bit. And he is also on changes and a bunch of other songs. And this album again is really interesting because everyone from Adam Wakeman to, um, you know, Neil Murray to, is Neil Murray on it? I think Neil Murray's yeah. Neil Murray's on it. Um, Let's see. I said Adam Wakeman, Tony Martin, Queenie May, again, Bev Bevan. There's so many great, great players on this. And we're going to right now, why don't we get into the interview, John? We're going to hear Trashed off of Emerald Sabbath. And again, this is Ron Keel on vocals, Vinny Apice on the drums. And you got uh, Bev Bevan adding some additional percussion to it. And it is, it's just, this is just great. I I would think they did an excellent job with this song specifically, which was on Born Again, coincidentally. And after we hear this song, we'll get into my interview with rock and roll, Hall of Famer, legendary drummer and percussionist, Bev Bevan, the guy who sings, I believe, Strange Magic, if you know that, that big hit from the seventies by ELO, that's, that's him and Jeff Lynn, I think doing vocals on that. So yeah, what an honor. And here we go. Little Trashed featuring Bev Bevan on percussion, Vinny Apice on drums, and you got Ron Keel doing the vocals on this one, followed by my interview with Bev Bevan.
of Talking Metal, and we have a legendary Rock and Roll Hall of Famer on the line. Just really, really an honor to talk with you, Mr. Bev Bevan. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you, Mark. I'm very good, thank you. And you did so much great work with ELO, and of course, going back to the move, I mean, your your history is absolutely just really staggering and impressive, and I want to talk to you about some of that history, but first I wanted to talk to you about your involvement with this cool new Emerald Sabbath. It's a, I guess I'd call it a Black Sabbath tribute record. You were a part of the Black Sabbath family, and you do some percussion and some some drums on this record. How'd you get involved with this tribute record? Well, um, there's a guy who's affectionately known as Mad Mike, right. and he, he he's the he's the sort of brains behind this album and he contacted me and the only way you can actually be on this album really is if you if you were in black sabbath at some time or other so i think he's got about a dozen or so ex-members of of black sabbath or or and it's it, I, I, to begin with i was a little dubious about what it would be like as you just said like a tribute album but it's not it isn't really a tribute album it's more um classical and very tastefully arranged um, arrangements of Black Sabbath tunes, most of them quite obscure ones, really. They're not, it's not the, uh, you know, there's no paranoid on there, you know. It's, they're, they're, and the finished product is really, really lovely, and I'm, I'm, I'm now very pleased that I got involved. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. And I guess, like you said, it's not really a tribute record because everyone involved, for the most part, on the record was somehow a part of the Black Sabbath family. Uh, even Adam Wakeman, who is on there, and he has recently did the Sabbath farewell tour. And of course, true, yeah. yeah, I was there on the last the last day, um, the last show in in, uh, in Birmingham. Um, and yeah, Adam still is very much part of the the Black Sabbath family, and if if I should ever do another show, I'm sure he'll be involved. Awesome, awesome. And 
let's delve into your history with Black Sabbath. Now, of course, one of the truly one of the biggest bands of the 70s, a band that I remember as a kid, just constantly on the radio, constantly um, touring and, and just really very, very popular a band that I loved, but also my parents loved, you know, Electric Light Orchestra. And that was your band. And you guys were were massive. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than ELO in in the in the 70s. And that band that you had was managed, correct me if I'm wrong, but by Don Arden, right? That's right. Yeah. So um and the and the now legendary Sharon Arden, of course. It was uh, often on the road with us, uh, with ELO. Now, Don has become known, you know, I, I read Sharon's book, one of her books, and he, you know, there was obviously a lot of friction between them, especially later on uh, in the 80s. But mm. Don seemed like he was, hmm, I don't know what the word is, but he, I mean, he was, he at least had the image of a, a real tough character, um, almost you know, Sharon describes him as mobster-like. Is that how you would describe him? And what do you remember of Don? Can you share some memories of Don Arden with us? Yeah, he, uh, um, yes, well, he was, he, I think he modeled himself on, on a gangster type image. You know, he, he, um, he never, a lot of rumors flew around about what Don had done. Uh, some were true, some were not, but he never denied any of it. Cause I, he liked, to be known as a hard man, as someone to be feared. One of my first mo- he, with the move, um, when he was our agent in those days. So this would be about '67 when we were just beginning to be popular in in Britain. And I remember us doing a, doing a show at near London somewhere, and the promoter refused to pay us. He made some excuse of that we hadn't played our full hour set or whatever. So I, I, I called Don Arden to tell him and he said, just stay there. Um, uh, be slow packing your gear up and stuff. And within about 30 minutes, Don had arranged for these, this guy called Wolf Pine, who was a, again, a very hard man in the business and with a couple of heavies and they came along and they, they, one of our one of our crew had been had been hit. Uh, we only had two crew, um, uh, so someone said, "Well, who did that to you?" And it, the guy, uh, to a manager guy, said, "Oh, this guy." So this that guy was beaten up, and then the promoter suddenly appeared. The guy who said he wasn't going to pay us suddenly he was there with all our money. Right. So, oh, there's been a misunderstanding, and this and this Wolf Pine said, "Yeah, but you know, I work for Don Arden." And um, we'll take your money. And then he, and he was a very smart guy, Wolf, carrying a briefcase. And he undid the briefcase. And inside the briefcase was a hammer with gaffer tape around it. Yes. And he proceeded to break both these guys' knees. Oh, my God. And said, said um, you won't do that again, will you? And the move were never knocked again. We know. <laughs> Funnily <laughs> enough, we were always paid after that. Yeah. Yeah. Did Don, Don carry a gun with him? I mean, I heard rumors he used to walk around with a, with a gun. I don't, I don't know if those are, you remember any of that. Uh, I, I never saw a gun, but again, it was, it was something that he wouldn't, 
he'd probably have something inside his coat to make it look like he's got one. I was I was with him once again in early ELO days, about seventy three. We were with United Artists Records, and one of our it must have been our maybe our second or third album. And Don was not impressed with the way it was being promoted in the USA. And he and I was with him, and he walked into the UA offices in LA, to the bars through the president's door, and the, it was this guy was sitting around the desk, and Don physically picked up this huge desk and just threw it over. So the guy, the president of UA, was pinned underneath his own desk. Wow! And and Don said, "You from now on, you look after my boys." Wow. Okay. Cool. And and yeah. Sharon then started working for Don, uh, Don's daughter, Sharon Arden, later to become Sharon Osborne. And Mm -hmm. what are your first memories of Sharon coming into the picture? Because she was quite heavily involved with you guys. I think she, did she tour manage you guys for a while? Yeah, she was, she was on the road with this a lot. She was a great character. We used used to have a bodyguard um, for the band, just one big guy who traveled around with us. Um, But, ELO, really, we were quite easygoing guys, and I don't, I can never remember a time when we ever needed a bodyguard, but Sharon did, because she was always like getting into arguments with people, picking fights, just causing trouble. She was a real, real character, and it was about this time that she, she first met Ozzy, I think, was in the, uh, sort of like the late 70s. Yeah, that's that sounds about right. That sounds about right. And and when Sharon toured with the band, I, I I don't have her book in front of me, but I seem to remember her saying at some point she wasn't sure if you guys really liked her touring with ELO. I, she may have been specifically referring to Jeff, but uh, what what were your did was she a, a good person to have on tour? Did you enjoy her company? Yeah, very much so. I did certainly. I can't speak for Jeff or anybody else. Uh, and her brother, David Arden, who was nothing like his father at all, very quiet guy. Uh, and I, I enjoyed his company very much. Uh, I, I, I think Sharon probably got that wrong if she said that. It's, it's probably just kind of a bit weird that there was a, it's an all-male thing. It's, a, you know, the seven-piece group, all guys, all the crew of guys. It's, it's kind of weird having a woman traveling with you, I suppose. Maybe that's all it was. Right. Especially in those days, it was even yeah. Uh, especially so, in those days, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I again, I don't have her book in front of me, but I just I seem to remember something like that in the book. But um, so, when do you first remember hearing about Black Sabbath? I, I became friendly with Tony Iommi. It would have been the back end of the move. It would have been around like sixty nine, that kind of time. Um, same time, I became friends with Robert Plant and. Tony Iommi and Robert Plant are still two of my absolute best friends. Uh, Tony and I shared a passion for fast cars, and uh, we became really good pals. And I wasn't really into the music so much. I didn't quite get Black Sabbath to begin with. And it came as a bit of a shock in 83 when Tony asked me to, to go on tour with them because they'd made this new album, Born Again, uh, with Ian Gillen. And Bill Ward had played on the album, but he, he wasn't in a great physical shape at that time. And there's no way that he could do, you know, months and months of arduous touring. So 
Tony asked me to, to join. I wasn't sure. And he, he gave me the, actually the Ronnie Dio uh, live double album, I think he was, uh, that, that they recorded. Yeah, and I listened to that, and I and I, I I then began to really appreciate how good Sabbath were, and how intricate some of the arrangements are. And uh, I was only with them for we did two American tours, a European tour uh, in June '83, '84. But I, I loved my time with them; I really did. And when, like, what was going on with ELO at that time when you joined Sabbath? Were you still were you in hiatus? What was happening there? Yeah, well, I think Jeff had got pretty much tired of touring, and we'd we'd done the time tour, which was I think about eighty one, and then we got in the studio and made uh, an album, Secret Messages, but there was no sign of a of a, a tour on the horizon at all. And you know, I just I love I just love touring. I, you know, I, I tour to this day with a band called Quill uh, in Britain, and I, I like to be on stage. I like to be live on stage, and there's no sign of that happening with with ELO. So when when Tony gave me that offer and I heard the music, then I, I jumped at the chance to do it. And the offer that Tony brought to you at that time was it you're going to join as a full time member, you know, indefinitely, or was it hey, can you do this this tour, the Born Again tour, with us? Well, I, I think it was a bit of a project because. A lot, a lot of Black Sabbath fans didn't like the idea of Ian Gillen being lead singer, and maybe they didn't like the idea of me being drummer. I, I don't know, but as a live band, it worked very well. But then it didn't work out with with Ian, um, and he left to re, I think to rejoin Deep Purple. Uh, I didn't hear off Tony for a while, and the next thing I know, they were worked they were touring with somebody else. But then he did ask me back again later on. And right. we did a few more shows. And actually, and then actually I left Black Sabbath. The last show I did, um, about 86, I actually left Black Sabbath because they were touring in Sun City in South, South Africa. And I, I really didn't want to do that because at the time it was, you know, you're in danger of uh, being kicked out of your musicians' union and all kinds of things. Right, right. Now, when when you joined post Born Again coming out, and you're going to do these tours, there there was stories that you really just were thrown right into it with very little time to rehearse, not really even maybe knowing the songs that well. Is, is that true? Do you remember like, okay, here we go, the you know, and going right into gigs without a lot of rehearsal? How do you remember it? Yeah, um, again, that that. Actually, I was I was away. I had a house in Spain at the time, and I used to. I'd got that album, and I used to just practice. I'd go to some bedroom or something with a, with a pair of drumsticks and just play along, hitting a pillow or something, just to learn the arrangements of the songs. And when we got back, we had very very little rehearsal time. But when we did get to rehearse, and I met, re I've met I'd known Ian Giller from before, and I'd known Geezer. And obviously a good friend of Tony's. Um, and when we when we did come to rehearse, I think I knew I think I knew all the stuff better than anybody else. Oh, nice. So, it, um, and of course, it was that hilarious Stonehenge set. Where, uh, you know, the Spinal Tap in right. reverse. Yeah. 
and they must have got that from us <laughs> because I think it, it, Giza, I think it was Giza who, whose idea it was of Stonehenge, and he had given the measurements out of what we wanted for, for on stage, but he'd done it in yards instead of feet or something like that. So right. it, it was enormous. This the, the Stonehenge. They were, as, they were as big as the real thing. You know, they wouldn't fit yeah. in in theaters. It just, it, it was pretty hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's I know um, with Rob Briner who did Spinal Tap. I know he he studied a lot of a lot of like the hard rock and heavy metal bands. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, one of my favorite movies ever. I must say. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> so then, let's see. So so. Tony then goes on and does this album that becomes Seventh Star, which, yeah. from what we've been told, initially wasn't even going to be a Black Sabbath record. It was just going to be That's a, right. a Iommi solo record. Soul. Yeah, yeah. And they release <clears throat> it as Tony Iommi's Black Sabbath, and that kind of falls apart. Glenn Hughes doesn't work out, and, and they get another guy in Ray. I think Ray Gillen joins at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and then at some point, like you mentioned earlier, you return, you and Geezer return to the fold. The Eternal Idol record, I believe, is just about done. But you come in and I and you're listed as playing some percussion on it. But there has been some debate among the the crazy fan base that whether or not you actually did do percussion on it. I think Eric Singer claimed he he was not sh- was not hearing anything that he didn't do on the album. Can you clarify if you actually performed on the Eternal Idol? Yeah, I, 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 not much. I, I think I went in uh, maybe two couple of days down in London and just added some. I can't remember hardly what I put on there, but it, yeah, just like tambourines and shakers and um, just general percussion stuff. Uh, how much you've they kept i don't know but there's, there's definitely stuff of mine on there uh, yeah for sure yeah cool and then geezer of course comes back at that time too on bass and now do you play some shows with them after eternal idol i think because i know geezer's there but i think he leaves a few weeks before you do That's does that right. sound right yeah yeah we had to get a another bass player at short notice and we didn't do many gigs uh <clears throat> we do we did I remember the last one we did was in Athens and um, in, at the height of summer and, the, and the, the, the crowd went absolutely wild and stormed the stage and we had to run for cover. It was a it's big open air football stadium in Athens. Oh. Uh, that, so that would have been about 86. That was a, And then there, that's when they went on to go on to Sun City and that's when I left. So the album was out. Was Eternal Idol released at that point when you were doing these shows? I don't remember that it being, it being released. I don't. We did any tracks from it. Okay. I, so, I think we we just did the crowd pleasers, right. you know, the usual, the songs that an arena crowd want to hear. Really. So with those handful of shows, then was that with Tony Martin singing or Ray Gillen singing? It was Tony Martin. In fact, Tony, it was. Yeah. My last show with Sabbath, I think, was Tony Martin's first. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That clarifies anything. Yeah. <laughs> and, right and then, of course, in in in, in um, much later years, when when Tony um, wrote his autobiography, Iron Man, uh, I, I did the sort of talking book 
narration of it, oh, which cool. at, at Tony's house, um, and which over a period of it took me a few weeks. It was a hard read, yeah. And particularly that we'd basically finished it, and then he discovered that he'd got this lymphoma cancer, right. and I had to go back in, and he'd written and you know like another chapter, which was at the time was very sad and. It took me a lot of takes to, to get through it because I kept bursting into tears because I yeah. thought I was losing one of my best friends. Right. Um, thankfully, that's wrong, and I see him all the time, and he's in he's in great shape. That's that's so great to hear. It's so great to hear. The uh, so Ray Gillen, did you ever did you ever have any dealings with him, or was he gone by the time you kind of came back into the fold? Yeah, no, he'd gone. No, no, yeah. I, I don't remember meeting him actually. Right, and I know you're still super close with Tony, but but how about Geezer and and Ian Gillen? Are you do you still hear from them much? Uh, I don't. I I haven't seen Geezer since I saw their farewell show, which is now two years ago but the fact is he lives in los angeles and i live in england so it's uh but you know if we ever didn't bump into each other we'd be best of buddies and, and the same with ian gillen uh i got on great with ian he was um a proper rock and roller you know our touring days uh we're all a little bit wild but ian was just amazing he was just a, a proper rock and roller Right on, right on. I love hearing the old stories, Bev. Thank you so much for for sharing that stuff with us. Let's talk about what you're up to now musically. I know you're still very active. Can you fill us in on what you're currently uh, doing musically? Yeah, actually, I've got quite a few things. Obviously, this the, the Emerald Sabbath thing is is done, but there is talk of possible of, of, of it being put on stage. But I think that would take a lot of doing. Wow, because of be cool, the amount of people that are involved and getting everybody over from America to rehearse and stuff. But, you know, hey, it'd be good. Um, but now my main project is is a band called Quill. And we um, we tour in England and we make, we make records. Uh, I'm, I was actually recently, uh, we're thinking, I'm thinking of starting a new band or being part of a new band uh, on a more like prog rock sort of thing which is cool when ELO started before we became having lots of hit singles and stuff if you, you check out the first one well two second third fourth album they, they are it's really quite proggy and I've been listening to it lately and thinking I'd like to do stuff like that again and there's a couple of guys in in Quill and the lead singer Joy that you know they're keen on doing something a bit different as well so I'm looking at that too and I'll also tour uh, this uh, show called Stand Up and Rock, which goes all over the country, and I'll tour with that as well. So, yeah, pretty busy still. Awesome. And what's Stand Up and Rock all about? Is that uh, like songs it's from a, your career? It's, or what? Yeah, no, it's stand. It's stand um, actually, it's a play on words. So the stand up is comedy. It's a guy called Jasper Parrott. Oh, I get it. Okay. And so you've got Stand Up and Rock. So you get Jasper comes on for half an hour, tells some funny stories and then my band bourbon band we we come on and and play some music for 45 minutes there's an intro jasper comes back on then and then we go back on and do some more and it's all it's all 
it's pretty popular rock. You know, it's stuff that people know. It's Queen and and the Stones and uh, Black. Actually, we do Paranoid. Right. Uh, so, but it's yeah, but it, that's good fun as well. Nice, nice. Well, Bev, it's been an honor talking with you. And uh, again, we're very excited by this new Emerald Sabbath record, which you are a part of doing some percussion. I know, I think you play, actually, you play the kit on uh, Changes, right? Yeah, I think yes. And uh, yes, uh, and some percussion stuff on on some other tracks. Yeah. And I, I think um, Mad Mike got in touch again recently. It's going to be like a follow up EP, which wants me to be on social i'll be happy to do that uh so yeah please do check out emerald sabbath check out quill and hope to uh talk to you again one day absolutely and we we play music here on the show would there be a, a song from quill that we could play for the the listeners uh yeah well yeah i'm, I'm co-writing uh, i did a lot of the lyrics lyrics uh with quill if you can if you can if you can find um, Grey Goose Call. That would be a great track to play. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Bev. It's an honor, Cheers, really. Bye. I appreciate Thanks your time. Lot. Okay.
All right, that right there was Grey Goose Call. Grey Goose Call by Quell, featuring Bev Bevan. Little off the beaten path for us. We don't, you know, maybe not the typical metal song that we'd play here in the podcast. But we, again, have John Astronomy, the co-founder of Talking Metal, down at the Chelsea Market, the home of the original Guns N' Roses Stakeout. I'll be honest, our connection is not that great. But uh, <laughs> I can hear John say it. Hello, hello. So I don't even know if he can hear if he's hearing me. John, can you <laughs> can you hear me? Hello, hello. Mark. Yeah, you can hear me. Mark. Yes, can you hear me? You know what I'm going to do, guys? I'm going to call him on his cell phone because he's on Skype and it's totally not working. So let's. Uh... All yeah. right. So we got John back on the line. Some technical difficulties there. Um, but we, yeah, on his cell phone now. So and uh, yeah, John, I feel bad. You went out, you bought a brand new mic and you were going to do this remote thing on your computer. But I guess the, the Wi-Fi signal down there is just not strong enough to make this happen. Yeah, it's. It's definitely not. I started out right next to the very famous waterfall in, uh, I'll tell you, uh, very famous waterfall there. And uh, unfortunately, uh, there was no Wi-Fi there. So then I come into this dream hotel and uh, there's no Wi-Fi here. So so unfortunately, things uh, didn't work out with that plan. And uh, it was all in honor of some of the, the greatest times we've had. Uh, Dylan talking metal and uh, we did have such fun back in the day that we still have fun now but but uh, the, those Guns N' Roses stakeouts and Guns N' Roses summits were really really great absolutely we should dig those up and you know refresh them on on the on the stream yeah. or throw them on YouTube or something because those were so much fun and again it was the all about the hunt for Axl Rose the hunt for Chinese democracy and it really did so well I mean we got tens of thousands of downloads on those episodes uh, way more than we're getting now that's for sure but but it was uh, yeah that was a great time and hey John are you any plans to go to Queensryche this weekend you know what? I, I was thinking of doing it because uh, I know we were going to initially hang out and do some, some talking metal stuff, uh, some behind-the-scenes talking metal stuff, but um, it's possible. It's definitely possible. I have always loved Queensryche. As you guys know that, uh, or as you know, Queensryche was literally my my very first heavy metal concert back in 1983. I, I saw Queensryche open up for Twisted Sister, and uh, I remember even Jeff Tate, I, I was saying it was 82, and he was saying 83 and I believe yeah. it was correct it was 83 but, right so on. I've always loved that band and uh, I know that the new lineup of Queensryche is amazing we're gonna we're gonna go down so if you decide you want to go let me know we'd love to to meet up and, and rock out with you and I, I wanted to play a little Queensryche on the show right now if you don't mind this is Man the Machine yeah, some brand new Queensryche here on Talking Metal
That was Man the Machine by Queen Drake right here on Talking Metal, episode number 800. Yeah, absolutely amazing. We started something really special back in 2005, John, and here we are, 800 episodes later. And <laughs> yep, uh, no yeah. And it's, you know, we're still interviewing new people. I'm, I'm still thrilled that when I get to talk to somebody like Bev Bevan or Danko Jones, who I haven't heard from or ever spoken with before. So, hey, John, there's right, a lot of right. music coming through in the background. I okay, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, I need to turn music on. All right, John. Well, listen, I'm going to get into this interview with with Danko Jones, but 800 episodes, man. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Uh, Thanks to all the Talking Metal listeners. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate all the hard work you've done, Mark, everything that Emily has done, and all the Talking Metal friends. We are rocking it, and uh, I just love Talking Metal, and I love all of you guys who are listening to us. It's been a blast cool well john i'll let you go since you're hanging out there and i'm gonna play a little more music and get into our interview with with danko jones sounds great guys sounds great mark uh see you saturday at queen's right perfect see you then john okay take it easy all right bye-bye all right. Well, we tried there with John, right? So uh, <laughs> I feel like every time we do one of these big episodes, like episode 700 or 800 or episode 666, I want them to be these like amazing special things and everything generally falls apart. So there you go. I remember episode 500. That, that was pretty cool. I remember that one working out really well. That I think was the last episode Bud Friendly appeared on. Do you guys remember Bud Friendly? He was a part of our TV show, Talking Metal on Fuse. And he used to come on the podcast occasionally. I don't think he's been on since episode 500. And that was where we had five big guests. Phil Anselmo was on that. That was a good one. You should go back and listen to that. It was like three hours long or something. Uh, but here we are, 800 Technical Disasters with Mr. Astronomy. Um, so there you go. And it's going to take me forever and a day to edit that. It'll Believe me, what you guys hear in the final edit is far better than what it actually was. I mean, it was cutting out every... Uh, like every few seconds it's uh yeah so we tried we tried with john but now we are moving on to danko jones and what what an honor to talk with this guy i really dig what this guy's all about and you know another first timer again 800 episodes and we're still hitting some people for the first time with an interview and there's still many more to go i i was doing a checklist of of people I've never spoken with. You know, we spoke with Doro recently. That was very cool. and never had her on the podcast. And Ripper Owens, he's never been on the podcast. So we're really hitting a lot of guests recently that have, have never been on this show, Talking Metal. And Danko Jones is one of those. So let's get started. Here's a little sound sample of Dance, Dance, Dance by Danko Jones. Go buy the full track on iTunes or listen to it on Spotify or Amazon Music. I, I You know, I left Spotify. I went over to Amazon Music. They gave me like three months free and then $7.99 a month as opposed to the $9.99 a month I was paying on Spotify. And it's good. It's good. I mean, you basically have all the same stuff as Spotify, although I feel like it's not quite as, um, uh, 
the app isn't laid out as smoothly and it's it's a little bit more awkward than Spotify. And that might just be because I'm so used to having Spotify for the last eight years or whatever I've had it. Who knows? But here we go. Anyways, Dance, Dance, Dance by Danko Jones here on Talking Metal. A little sound sample of this song followed by my interview with Danko Jones. Mark Striegel, and we have Danko Jones on the line. Danko, how are you? Good, Mark. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You were just uh, out doing a bunch of shows. Uh, how'd they go? Uh, they went pretty good. We did the West Coast of America, some somewhere where we haven't done in a few years, and we did it with uh, Nashville Pussy, and for a few dates, Prima Donna was on the tour as well. Oh, cool. Cool. And I, I, you were out at NAM too, and I was listening to your your podcast and uh, you were saying that you're not really a gear guy no i'm not far from it but i just know what i like so uh i tried to find the sounds that will match up with this with the sounds i had when i was 15 you know that everybody makes that sound with their mouth when you know your your air guitar and you go that's the sound i'm always looking for right on Right on. Cool. And you have a new record coming out on April 26th, a rock supreme. And the uh, the songs that I've heard sound just great. Dance, dance, dance. The music video hit the other day. And, you know, I was a I was a big fan of the Wildcat record that you put out back in 2017. I'd heard uh, I think it was Jim Florentine talking about Danko Jones for a while, and I'd never really listen to your stuff until the wildcat record hit and I, I just loved that record so much and you did a great job there's the hooks the song structure and it sounds like you're kind of going down that same path with a rock supreme at least judging from the songs i've heard musically do you feel it's a different album than wildcat like as far as stylistic you know choices go stylistically no we're a hard rock band we've been putting out hard rock records for years uh a rock supreme is our ninth studio album and it's our jesus 12th album of original material there were three other albums compilations of b-sides and and what have you uh put out before so all in all really 12 
full albums of original material and it's always been hard rock we started off in the mid 90s as a garage punk band because there was a huge scene for that back then um but you know we found that scene stifling and really claustrophobic so we wanted to expand our sound so we became a hard rock band um in the traditional sense with bridges and choruses you know and we didn't care if we went into a good studio because a lot of the aesthetic in garage punk is to keep it lo-fi and dirty even though you can easily turn your your music into you know really well recorded material um <clears throat> so a rock supreme pretty much carries on the tradition that we've always been just it's a rock band um now, I would encourage you to go back and listen to all the other albums <laughs> like Fire Music right. um, and Sleep is the Enemy, Born a Lion, We Swept Blood. Uh, these albums uh, we're very proud of as well. Uh, Fire Music was uh, the first album with our lineup that we have to this day with Rich Knox on drums. JC and me have always been in the band. But with Fire Music, we really kind of uh, cemented this lineup and and uh, we've made, I think, with a Rock Supreme, our three best albums. Absolutely. And, you know, when I would listen back to the Wildcat record, which, again, I was just so into that record. Thank you. The, Thank you, by the way. The, there was a to the lyrics. I wanted to talk about the lyrics because there's this like if I looked at and no offense, but if I looked at the lyrics on a piece of paper, they almost might seem too simple. But when I hear them in place in the song with the music, they're always just so perfect. And what is there? Is there a process in your songwriting to to keep things traditional, to keep things simple? Because I'm, I'm guessing there is, but it's almost so simple that it's not simple, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, I labor over lyrics. I mean, the only times I've not labored over lyrics uh, I've eventually grown to hate them and right. I love all the lyrics on wildcat and yeah. fire music and, and this new album, a rock Supreme. So I labor over them all the way till the uh, last hour, uh, where I have to record them. Um, <clears throat> I've always kind of, uh, drafting new drafts are made. And even if it's to change a couple of words here or even one word all the way to the, to the moment where I have to sing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a process and it's a very internal one. I never share my process with anybody unless it's with the producer and we are in front of the microphones and, you know, the clock's going tapes rolling kind of thing. And he, uh, says like, for example, Garth would say, you know, ah, that's not really working there. Uh, and then we'd have to figure it out on the spot. But for the most part, it's very laborious. And I, uh, I like, I think simple is best. And like you said, simple can also be very hard to pull off. Right. I mean, I've over the years, I've gotten criticized over the simplicity and sometimes people say it's, it's, uh, you know, pretty childish or adolescent, um, lyric writing. But when I hear that, <laughs> I realize they don't get a lot of the musical references that I'm taking those lyrics. From. Sure. Um, for example, on Fire Music, She Likes It is a direct take from uh, uh, I Like It by Ike and Tina off the uh, Feel Good album, okay. in including like 
lines that were completely lifted. Um, so she likes it on Wildcat uh, is really Tina Turner liking it when she says, I like it on Feel Good. So it's a very simple lyric, but it's 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 it, it's got so much meaning behind it. I don't expect people to be like, uh, you know, knowledgeable on Ike and Tina who listen to our album. But for me, as just someone who has to sing it every night, I kind of like that little backstory. It, it gives the simple lyrics uh, a little bit of meat behind it. Very cool. Love that. And, uh, you know, I, I just saw Marty Friedman play two nights ago here in New Jersey, and it was just just a incredible, incredible performance and, and so much energy packed into what he does. I know you contributed to his Inferno record, uh, what, a little over a year ago, I guess. Uh, actually it came out in 2014. Did it? Was it that yeah, long ago? Yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah. Time's okay. flying. I yeah. Time flies. Wow. Yeah. So what, and I know you just jammed with him, right? Recently out yeah. in, on the West coast. How do you know Marty? Where, where did that friendship or connection start? Uh, it, it started very innocently. Of course, I've been a cacophony fan. Of course, I loved his stuff in Megadeth, but more really cacophony when, when I would see the cacophony ads, um, in metal mags and they described it as like a thrash metal symphony with him and Jason Becker. I believe those, those yeah. that's how the ad ran. So, uh, I've been a fan of Marty's and Jason's of course for years. And when someone, it was a comment on, I can't remember what platform they said, did you know that Marty Friedman loves your stuff? So when I read a comment like that, I have to investigate. I, found some sort of email off a website or I can't remember what email I found online that pretty much anybody could find. And I cold messaged Marty saying, you know, who I am and I heard you like our stuff. Uh, I've done that before to other people with varying results or, or no results. But Marty replied back to me and we struck up a online friendship. And then we finally met, um, when we were in LA and he was in LA for the NAM conference years back, we were in LA to record our video for, for one of our, 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 our video trilogy for below the belt, um, our, our album below the belt. And Elijah Wood was on set cause he was in it. Ralph Macchio was on set cause he was in the video. So Marty got to meet Ralph Macchio right. and Elijah Wood. And we all kind of took a photo together and hung out. And so, uh, that was the first time I met Marty. And then, we, you know, kept in touch. And then of course, when Inferno pre-production came along, he, he messaged me going, Hey, you want to write a song with me? And I go, yeah, I'd love to, you know, but I, you know, things happen. I forgot. And then he messaged me again and he said, are we going to, are you going to do this? <laughs> it's kind of yeah. like what happened. And I, you know, I felt like my God, I had, I had forgotten. I felt bad. So I go, you know what? Give me, give me today. So I sat on my guitar and I actually just immediately came up with the, the basic kind of chord structure for what became um, the the song off and the main song. Off I can't Inferno relax. Called, I can't relax. Yeah. And so that turned out so great. Marty asked me to uh, sing on another song that he was doing on the album. And so I sang vocals for that with um, uh, Children of Bodom singer, uh, whose name escapes me right it's now, like, but anyway, uh, Alexi, <laughs> Alexi Leho. Leho. Yeah. Alexi Leho's. So I, 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 I kind of, I've never met Alexi, although we've played festivals together, but 
we ended up doing a duet together on that album for a song called uh, Lycanthrop. And, and then then I sang backups on another kind of uh, song off the Inferno Deluxe Edition that kind of got released in Japan or or deluxe versions of the album. So so it was three songs in all that I sang. And I, I did most of the singing in Toronto in, in the studio with our guy, Vic Florentia. But when we were in L.A., again, for a different reason, uh, we were on tour. Uh, me and Marty got into a studio. He was there as well. And he produced some of the singing that I did as well. Awesome. Cool. And uh, random question, you know, you're, you're Canadian um, down here in the States and so much music throughout my lifetime, so much great music has always come down from, from Canada and hit our radio waves, our MTV down here. Is, is it, I mean, when you look at how there's so many more people in the States, uh, you know, you'd think there'd be so many more musical bands, so many more artists, but it almost seems like you guys up there have, have just as much music on our airwaves down, down here as we do. What, and why is Canada a more fertile ground, at least in my opinion, and you may disagree with this, um, for, are you on a, are you, on a, are you, do you live in a border state? Um, New Jersey, New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. I used to live in New York state in the Buffalo area, but yeah. Cause I would, I would beg to differ. Uh, people in Texas would have, would beg to differ. I would say, um, right. just because yeah, like there's a lot, you know, that, and, and living in Toronto, we get a lot of Buffalo, New York stuff, you know, I think, yeah. um, I, I don't have an answer for that because usually I, I live in it, you know, yeah. and there's, there's something called CanCon, Canadian content, which radio stations and, and any other streams have to play 30% Canadian content. Um, so it just, for me, it always seems like Canadians rule the airwaves. Um, so it's hard for me to see the forest for the trees. Uh, uh, so yeah, it's hard for me. I don't. I have an. I don't have an answer for that. Other than maybe it is because of the CanCon that we are able to um, invigorate and and inspire people to get up off the couch and form bands and and go for it, sort of sort of thing. Right on. Right on. And you know, we spoke about Marty Friedman, who of course is a, a former member of Megadeth, and. Dave Mustaine is doing this thing that sounds awesome. I, I really am trying to figure out if I can scrape up enough money to go on it. It's the Mega Cruise. And what a diverse, great lineup they've gotten for the the Mega Cruise, including you guys, Danko Jones. How'd you get hooked up with the Mega Cruise? Um, I think the people who run the Mega Cruise also, we're in touch with them, or our, our, our management is. We've also done the motorboat in the past. Um, which was Motorhead's yep. cruise, and that went pretty good. I mean, we're a really easy band to work with, you know. Wh whether it's, you know, technically, we're only three people. I play one overdrive pedal, <laughs> you know. We don't have a rack tom, yeah. um, so we're really easy in terms technically, musically, and when it comes to these hard, like heavy metal type cruises, we act as um, 
ear relief. Yeah. Same with us being on a lot of metal festivals in Europe. We're kind of relief from all the death metal pummeling. And, uh, you know, the mega cruise is turning out to be quite a cruise. I'm, I'm a fan of almost every single act that has been announced. Yeah. And I am privy to a couple of acts that haven't been announced and I am a humongoid fan of maybe by the time this airs, it would have been announced. But uh, I, I don't think it's my place to say it here. But I can say the bands that have already been announced, like Sacred Reich, Metal Church, Queensryche, um, Armored Saint, uh, right? Armored Saint, yeah. uh, Anthrax, Testament, um, John Five. I mean, I'm a huge fan of all those bands and people. And, and so. And there's even more people who have to be announced that I, when I found out, I'm like, this is going to be the greatest cruise. Yeah, it really is. Doro as well. Doro is going to be there. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it. Cool. Cool. Well, kind of to circle back to the, the new album, which again comes out on April 26th, a rock Supreme by Danko Jones, the, uh, the new music video dance, dance, dance is out. Love the tune. Uh, then I saw the music video and the music video, definitely a fun watch where, um, where did you hook up with these dancers? And in, in some ways they almost beautiful women. I really love what they're doing in the video, but it almost uh, seemed like, like they had, um, they weren't your typical hard rock dancers, if you will. Uh, well, they're all real uh, professional dancers. Uh, yeah, they're, they're trainer. They're actual trainers. Uh, one of the one of the women uh, is a um, uh, like a choreographer of another dance troupe, and they're all from Sweden and Stockholm. Ah. The the video was shot in Sweden, and it was directed by Amir Chamden, who's done tons of other amazing videos. We've been wanting Amir to direct one of our videos for years, but you know, we're in Canada, he's in Sweden. So how do we do this? Um, and so Amir came up with this idea and we ran with it. We trusted him and sure enough, we all love it. It's one take and it's three women doing a choreographed dance routine to our song, one take. And it shows them as very strong, athletic and very, you know, uh, uh, talented dancers and, uh, yeah, they're not the, uh, rock and roll. Like they're not wearing mini skirts right. and they're, you know, they don't, <clears throat> they don't have a, uh, you know, a, a long cigarette with a poodle coming out of a limo. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that, but we've never, uh, subscribed to that look for our band. You know, we're a band that thrives on, uh, outside of the box when it comes to the conservative world of rock and roll, because our roots are really in punk rock. So, uh, we like to play within the format, but when it comes to visuals, this video really kind of, it truly does represent us in a way. And, and so, yeah, I thought Amir, you know, he really hit it out of the park with that. And it's a very simple premise, a very simple video, but when you think about it again, it's very hard to pull off. Those dancers had to really, you know, not not make one mistake. Right. And it was, yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely happy about it. And it, it's interesting you mentioned that you saw a clip, and I'm going to assume you saw the whole video from yes. how you described it. But you know how it is on social media these days. A lot of people just see the one clip. They saw the one clip, 
of a, uh, which was like, I don't know, 45 seconds, 50 seconds of, of, you know, these girls dancing and people lost their minds. They thought it was like sexist because they were just dancing, there's girls dancing. And I, I really could, had to just shake my head. I was pretty disappointed by the reaction, uh, of some of the comments saying that it was sexist because what, if you bother to watch the whole video, you quickly realize that it's actually the opposite. It's 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 a, a very strong representation of strong athletic women, you know, just doing their thing, you know, in their own element. Yep. And they, we had really nothing to do with it other than providing the song. And Amir and the girls, they did it. It was amazing. Yeah. Definitely. Another amazing video you guys have is the the Burn in Hell music video with all this cell phone footage. You know, I do some video editing and I, I couldn't help but think, wow, that must have been quite a project for the for the editor. Unlike the Dance, Dance, Dance video, which, which you said was one take, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just one take. Um, the editor probably uh, took a, took them uh, maybe less than an hour to edit that. Yeah. But yeah, Burn in Hell was something we encouraged online before our our fall winter tour of last year, uh, saying that, uh, you know, we're going to play this song, look out for it when we do, you know, whip out your smartphones and, and record it and then send us the footage and we'll see if we can use it. And that the, the editing kudos goes to our webmaster Ole, who, who, who pretty much did all the editing himself with all the footage. And it, it got to the point that before the tour was over, he had already, gotten all the footage he needed, but people just kept sending him more and more stuff. So he had more and more wow. stuff to look through. Very cool. Love it. And I'm totally psyched for the new record on April 26, a rock Supreme. Danko, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on this. I I've been, uh, uh, wanting to be on it for a while. Cool. Well, we appreciate what you're doing and we support what you're doing and uh, love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Love the Ernie C interview. That was a lot of fun to listen to. You really got oh, him to open Ernie, up and really, Ernie's the man. Yeah. Ernie's it, Ernie C is the man and body count are the band. There you go. All right, Danko. Have a great day. Thank you. You too, Mark. Take care. I want to now. I want to know. I got to rock. I need to roll. If you can't hang with the speed I go, I'm going to roll
Gotta Rock by Danko Jones from 2017 off the Wildcat record, which is an album I really, really love. So many great tunes. I mean, it's just one after another. It just keeps hitting you with so many great songs. Danko Jones here on Talking Metal. Go buy that one. Support, um, you know, Danko Jones in any way you can. Buy his new album that's coming out. And yeah, what an honor. Thank you, Danko, for speaking with us here on the Talking Metal podcast. Thanks for uh, thanks to John Astronomy for trying to be a part of episode 800. I don't know. I, I feel bad for him, although I'm the guy who has to deal with all the editing. But um, yeah, there you go. And, you know, a lot of you guys probably don't remember stuff, you know, like the Guns N' Roses stakeouts. I know there's a handful of you do that do, but this show has evolved and it's it's so far I think from what it used to be and not that one is better than the other I think you know we've had we've had a a diverse ride here on Talking Metal and um, yeah I'm just glad that I'm still doing it with you guys and you guys are, are hanging out with me here 800 episodes later big shout out to the Patreon folks you know who you are right we got Steven Saylor is going to be producing a episode. He's one of our, our top Patreon dudes. Of course, Steve Hoker. So many great guys on, on Patreon. Ron Keel. Um, I'm looking on the... You know, the Patreon platform is not, is not the smoothest sometimes, I feel. Like, I, I just want right now a list of all our patrons and... I'm fumbling around here trying to find it. Uh, let's go to here. All right, here we go. Anthony Mackey, At Metal Dan, Fred Roots, Graveyard Disciple, James Bennett, Jason, Seth, Jay Vaninsky, J.B. Allen, Gene Francoise, uh, his last name gets cut off, Blas, Joe. I just spoke to Joe on the phone. He's got a cool cartoon thing happening. Maybe we'll talk to you about that soon, guys. Jean Bouvoiry, Matt Carroll. Michael Street, Michael Jones, or Mike Jones, I'm sorry, David S. Gray, Miles Atwood, Ralph Petrie, Ron Keel, Sam Supa, Sean Morgan, Stephen Saylor, and Steve Hoker. Thanks, guys. You guys rock. You are the Patreon crew. Hey, if you want to buy a Talking Metal hoodie, think of it as a donation to our podcast. They're $60. They're pullovers. They are great, great quality. I was wearing mine around the other day. They're warm. They're comfy. They are awesome. Awesome. Talking Metal Hoodies, hit up my PayPal account with 60 bucks, your name, your size, and you don't have to be a, a patron to get uh, the Talking Metal Hoodie. Anyone can get them. Or get a Talking Metal t-shirt, same thing, 20 bucks for those. Get get both. Listen, you want both? You want the t-shirt and the hoodie? 70 bucks. How about that? That's a discounted rate. Save some money. Uh, t-shirts on their own, 20 bucks. Hoodie on its own, 60 bucks. And uh, I have all sizes in the T-shirts from small to triple XL. And the hoodies go from small to double XL. So let me know what you need, guys. And my PayPal account is my email, which is striegelmark at gmail.com, S-T-R-I-G-L-M-A-R-K at gmail.com. Use our Amazon links. Those always help. And what else helps? Oh, uh, PayPal donations. You don't want a T-shirt? Just give me a donation whatever. So lots of ways to support what we do here on Talking Metal. And if you go to talkingrock.net, which is my website, you can go to the support page and that'll give you the numerous options of how to support what we do here on the podcast. A lot of great shows coming up, hitting Queensryche tomorrow night. Cannot wait. 
by the time you hear this, uh, that will have passed. Um, really looking forward to that. So there you go. And be sure to catch the Mark Striegel podcast. It's exclusive to our patrons on Patreon. It's a once a week show, and I usually do it with Victor Ruiz. It's a lot of fun. It's all talk, and it's you know just just really loose, off the cuff stuff. Um, in some ways, I'm almost more honest on that podcast because I feel like um, there's less listeners and I can say whatever the hell I want. So, yeah, um, nah, I usually do that here, too. But you know what I mean? There's, it's, it's a real small, exclusive, intimate thing there, the Mark Striegel podcast for the Patreon people only. And you can get that with as little as two bucks a month, uh, pledging two bucks a month. So there you go. It hits every Friday. This, of course, Talking Metal, we try to hit this every Tuesday. Sometimes it's Wednesday, depending on what's going on in my life. So on that note, I'd like to thank Bev Bevan, pick up the Emerald Sabbath record that he uh, he is a part of. And also, I'd like to thank Danko Jones for joining us on this edition of the podcast. Stay tuned for some great, great interviews coming up, some really good stuff. Carmine, a piece, talking uh, about a lot of stuff. I can't wait for you to hear this interview. Uh, I just recorded it the other day. So stay tuned for that. And to take us out, let's hit, let's see, what do I have here? Let's let's hit something off the new Ron Keel. That's let's let's do that. This is the title track, "Fight Like a Band," by the Ron Keel Band, off the "Fight Like a Band" album. Go support this now. All right, thank you guys. i
Life goes on, but tonight I've got other plans. Raise your